Hey, you up all night tossing, turning, mind racing, trouble getting to sleep, trouble staying asleep. Welcome, this is Sleep With Me, the podcast that's here to put you to sleep. We do it a bedtime story. All you need to do is get in bed, turn out the lights, and press play. I'm going to do the rest. What I'm going to do is create a safe place where you can set aside whatever's giving you awake, whether it's uh, stuff you're thinking about, stuff you're physically feeling, stuff you're emotionally dealing with, uh, inside noises, outside noises, travel, change it, whatever's giving you awake, I'd like to take your mind off that. And what I'm going to do when I say create a safe place is one, try to make you feel welcome, because I'm glad you're here. And two, or let's see, how do I explain it? I'm going to send my voice across the deep, dark night. Uh, I'm going to use lulling, soothing tones. I'm going to use uh, point, you know, examples, word filler. There's a lot of filler. Uh, hot, hot air? Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. If you need some warmth in your bed, it's coming your way. Uh if a fo- if an iPhone had a hot air setting, like uh, you say, well, she say, also heat your bed, uh, powered by hot air. Uh, but basically, what I'm gonna do, like, or here's a, let's see, let's see why I do it, what I'm gonna do, what I do, and then kind of the structure and stuff like that. Why do I do this? Uh, I had terrible insomnia as a kid, and then now as an adult, I've had dealt with it on and off, so I can relate to what it's like lying there. And one thing that always helped me feel less alone, less desperate, and just relieve some of that angst uh, from tossing and turning was listening to kind of comedy radio and stuff like that. And that's why I make a podcast for grownups with bedtime stories, a little bit silly, a lot strange, uh, to keep you company. And ideally, like, there's enough uh, slow talking and circular logic and stuff that you could just fall asleep whenever you want. I'll be here, though, the whole, like, for an hour at least. Uh, so the structure show, first five minutes is how we uh, keep making the podcast to pay the bills and credits for people to help out on the show. Uh, then we're in three minutes into, like, an intro. Usually the intros are around 12 minutes, and they're kind of a show within the, itself. It's, it should feel familiar and welcoming. Uh, and some people start it before they get in bed. Some people fall asleep to the intros. Uh, and it, it's just kind of like a way to say, okay, scoot, like, I don't know. I, like, uh, they seem to work. I guess that's why I keep doing them. And one of the things I try to do in the intro is explain what the podcast is. In over 500 episodes, there's never been a moment where I said, oh, boy, that's it. Because uh, I, I, I guess, like, to be honest with you, there's a bunch of different reasons, I think, add up to why the podcast works. But there's none... Not one thing that I can point to that I say, well, this is why the podcast, this is the podcast to put you to sleep. Also, the fact that doesn't work for everybody is another thing. So, so we'll do the intro. Then tonight's a uh, Star Wars episode, Star Trek episode. That's right. It's called Star Trek. So Star Trek Next Generation episode. So we're going to talk about uh, an episode of Star Trek. And I like to kind of wrap these intros around uh, Star Trek in some way. In, the, in this episode, there's two things that came up, like they weren't quotes. In the past, we've been quoting, uh, but they were words. One, Q says to Riker, he says, the redoubtable uh, Lieutenant Riker, or whatever. I, I guess, I don't, unfortunately, I don't know Riker's thing. 
and redoubtable means uh, formidable, especially as an important, like, like that it was a term of respect, like, oh, wow, you're, you're, you're worthy of my attention. Or if we were to debate one another, you would be a redoubtable uh, opponent. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but uh, according to the Oxford uh, Dictionary, uh, late Middle English from the old French redoubtable, from redoubt, redoubter or redoubter to fear. And then Picard says, calls Q at some point a flimflam man, F-L-I-M-F-L-A-M, flimflam man, uh, which is a noun according to Oxford, and a uh, nonsensical or insincere talk or a con man. Flimflams uh, perpetuated against us by our elected officials, that's Oxford. Or it can be a verb to swindle someone with a trick. Uh, they flimflammed out of their land. And what's interesting about this, so one of the things that keeps me up at night, if you're new here, is uh, like thinking for me. And all these different aspects of my personality or coping mechanisms or whatever you want to call it, lizard and, and mammalian parts of my mind. At some point, they're talking during the day a lot, but I have a lot of other stuff going on to distract me. But when I get into the silence of the bed, uh, sometimes they, the voices can, like, they, they grapple my attention a little bit more because there's nothing to compete with them. And they can keep me awake, uh, you know, thinking about the past or the future. And at some point during the podcast, I started calling these things brain bots because they kind of feel like, uh, you know, they're, they don't have an off switch. Unfortunately, they're, if they're bots, robots or something, they don't have a sleep mode or an off switch. And you might call them maladjustments or whatever. Their, their job is to do this one thing, like uh, internal critic for me would be, I have like 4,000 of those, but, you know, in a, a general manner. It's to protect you. And you say, well, geez, if you weren't like this, you know, life would be a lot like, uh, you know, it's just, it's just a protective instinct. Uh, but by kind of seeing them, oh, wait, like they, they, they're doing their best job uh, to, to keep you safe. They're just not that great because they're kind of these, like, uh, I don't know, like I guess uh, like they only have this one job and maybe they were developed in childhood. I don't want to get into too much of the psychology, but just uh, calling them brain bots kind of disfu- diffuses them. And like uh, it says, like instead of looking at them like something we're supposed to grapple with or debate or anything, I kind of see it. My job is like to, to entertain them with this podcast to entertain whatever it is that's a relatable thing for you that's keeping you up at night. Maybe you don't have brain bots. Maybe you have pain bots. Some listeners tell me that. Like, or maybe you have something else. Or maybe you just have so many snoring pets that it's like tough to sleep or whatever. I mean, now, uh, this is the part where I brag because I, I found that these brain bots, I'm redoubtable to the brain bots. I am, is an entertainer. Or I guess the other entertain because the other forms of entertainment they do is go to work on you. You know, they don't really get that much entertainment. So I guess I don't have any competition. So maybe I'm not redoubtable because I haven't been, like, I don't know. But but I think I'm pretty good. Like, especially against them, I say, well, just uh, here, BrainBots, I'm going to talk about Star Trek for an hour here coming up. And I'm going to over-describe some stuff. I'm going to try to discuss uh, 
Picard and Riker's relationship and maybe his father and son, but I'll really do it really slow. Let me just try to use these creaky dulcet tones. And I guess in some sense, I, I am a flim flam man in the nonsensical way. Maybe like I, I don't like I, I want to treat the brain bots with respect and stuff. But maybe there is a little bit of a confidence trick is that if they have the confidence that I'm here to entertain them. If you have the confidence that I'm here to take your mind off of stuff, but you're in your under no pressure to listen to me. But you're also under no pressure to fall asleep because the show will be like about an hour long. So I'll be here to keep you company and I'll be working very hard. So, but in a sense, so that you don't have to, that you can just fall asleep whenever it works for you. And I'll be using as much flim flam as I can. You know, like flim flam man is a very, I mean, that could be on my birth certificate. Say, well, like if they, if we've lived in an alt universe where, you know, you were assigned personality. When you're, they'd say, well, if in the future he'll be a flim flam man, not the confident, not the kind, not the con man kind, though, just the one, you know, flim flamming around. You know, in another world, you know, 200 years ago, I'd have to do this on the corner, you know, on a soapbox, and uh, there'd be other terms for me other than podcaster. Now it's podcaster is great. But I use my flim flaming to keep the brain bots entertained, like kind of like if I was moving and, and I was describing my movements instead of and my language and my attempts to make sense to say, well, there you go. Like he's doing a little flimming now and then he does the flam. It's not quite a pop and lock. Yeah, but it's like uh, it's his version of a pop and lock, which is uh you know, not the same as pop and lock, and that maybe not a form of dancing at all. You know, his robot more looks like a statue whose waist kind of moves side to side. So there's this flim. Oh, now he's some doing some flaming, which is just doing a wave motion with his arm, and and then he's going to tell you know he's going to talk about maybe Q's hair. And once it, geez, was that, uh, you know, was that because he was wearing his Napoleonic hat earlier? Probably you're right. You're right. Uh, and then he'll describe, you know, the gold LeMay. Well, and then he'll say, well, LeMay, what does LeMay mean? I don't know. Gold LeMay. I hear it all the time. Is that gold paint or is it, uh, I see, when I hear LeMay, I see shine. I see shine. And that's how I'm flaming. So once you've been flamed, then I'll flam. But, like, you don't have to worry. You just let me entertain your brain bots. Let me do the work. And if, you, if you're if you new here, here's the things you need to know. I'm, I'm here to service you in a kind of weird passive way. Like, you, you can kind of listen to me. And hopefully I'll keep you company and escort you across the threshold from wake to sleep. But you're under no pressure to pay attention and you're under no expectation or anything that you're going to fall asleep right away. Because I want to, I'm here to put your mind at ease, to distract you, to kind of maybe, uh, well, entertain your brain bots, like to bear that. It's not really a burden. I don't, I don't think they're burdensome. They just want to be entertained by a redoubtable flim-flam man. The redoubtable. He puts the flim and flam and the flam and flim. It's dear Scooter. And I'm here to try to take your mind off stuff and put you to sleep. This podcast doesn't work for everybody, uh, but if you're new or you're skeptical, it totally makes sense. Give it a few tries because I've been there. And that's why I make this show because I really hope and I really yearn to help you fall asleep. I appreciate your time.
And thanks for stopping by, all right? Okay, hey, everybody. So tonight we're talking about uh, Season 1, Episode 9, Hide and Q. I think it came out in 1988. Is it true? In 1987? That, like, uh, is it, like, I don't know. I don't have a research in front of me, but I saw it. uh, I just read that somewhere right before I hit record. So I'll be straight with you, uh, you know, because it's what we're we're trying to develop an honest relationship here, of course. And uh, like, I can't like, like, uh, no one recommended this episode. That's what, like, first off. So I chose this one uh, just because of the t- the time frame of watching the episodes and recording. And I said, okay, I've been keeping the Q episodes in my back pocket. So anytime I really need to get get an episode done. I can just slot in a Q episode because John Delancey's delightful. I hope that's the actor's name. Lace, like, uh, <laughs> great. Uh, but, it, like, so, but this episode, I mean, I guess it was because we've reached the heights, uh, we were at the heights of season five, and we've really had some hits the past few weeks, thanks to, thanks to some great suggestions. Uh, that this episode really shows some, I don't know if wear and tear, it just shows that the show really did find its legs in an amazing way. And this was one of the episodes where they, I guess they were more in the stage of like finding their legs. Uh, so I can't strongly recommend this episode. This is the first episode. I don't want to pan anything. This is about being positive, but this was the first episode that I can't be like, like that I wasn't, uh, <laughs> This will be, they think, the sixth time I've watched it, too, once I start hit play on my phone here. I think one, like, I watched it once for pleasure months ago when I kind of did, like, watched a bunch of Q episodes. Then I watched it with our new, my new watching way, which is to watch just one uh, segment in a really focused and intense way. And then to watch it twice, like, when I'm working out, uh... So many times, that's only four times. This will only be the fifth time. Give me, give me a break, critic. You didn't do that much work. Uh, but there is some interesting things in here, of course, for a sleep podcast. I just, uh, and I don't know, like I didn't research anything about this episode. So it felt like there was some things missing. So let me add a, that caveat that maybe because I didn't watch the episodes leading up to it. Uh, well, we could talk about this right now. Like, it seemed like Riker and Picard's uh, relationship with the, was a little strained in this episode. And I was confused by that. Not in a, uh, not confused by the fact that it was strained, just a situational strain for this particular episode. And I couldn't tell if it was something that was recent events or if it was, uh, like just a general thematic thing. Or if this was like an attempt, a successful attempt, if it was, to advance Riker's character. So if it was that, uh, I think mission accomplished. Because, I mean, you know, Riker develops a Riker swagger, uh, which in later seasons is a true swagger. Instead of like a, 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 a what do you call that? A, what is that thing with the plumage called? That bird with the plumage. Of course, like a peacock. Like he, he when Riker's tr- tr- swagger is not a peacock swagger. It's a true swagger, or the like the swagger of actually like that Riker is a peacock. Like instead of like emulating a peacock, you, you know what I mean? Or it may not make sense. Like uh, 
like Riker swaggers out of the truth of Riker's comfortableness. Uh, where, so I don't know if this was one of the things that pushed him to his true swagger instead of a faux swagger is what I mean. Like Riker doesn't need to, he doesn't need a peacock tail because he has his, his, his he's just a, uh, and we did have some good moments in here. Now I don't like, I don't, I'm a, I'm a sober person and I don't recommend any like anything like this. But if you are like uh, like in the uh, like you watch TV shows at four twenty either in the morning or at night, uh, this might be an episode for you uh, because it did have moments where I was like, "Wait a second, what's going? Whoa, man, what ha- What just happened?" And where I was just wondering how it'd feel if it was back in the day. And I was pulling, you know, it'd be like, whoa, like, cause there's just some odd moments. Uh, so all that said, uh, it was hide and cue season one, episode nine, uh, opens with our captains. So, well, let me hit play. Sorry. They just, uh, violation of star, starship protocol here. Of course, my phone won't flip to the correct, uh, it's on the wrong season now. Oh, now the app has to reload. I I don't know if the phone updated recently, but it's really, I don't know, it's not not long with us, this uh, iPhone 4S. uh, Okay, so we have it, hide and queue. Oh, yeah, original air date, that's where I saw it, November 23rd. So right before Thanksgiving, 1987. So, wow, like, that was a long time ago. Even for for me, it was uh, so... I think in 1980, no, it already had hope. I didn't have hope, but actually in 1987, I did have new hope. Anyway, okay, so Captain's Log, having dropped right now. Oh, oh boy, important note here. Let me pause it. Again, an important note. I guess I'll do it before I get to Captain's Log. They show the hallways, and again, because they skipped around season one, there's wallpaper on some of the halls. Like right now I'm watching uh, Dr. Crusher coming out and she's headed. Uh, she's like, they're getting ready for this rescue. Uh, Captain's like, they dropped Counselor Troy off. She's going to see her family. And they were close to Sigma 3 solar system when a colony had a distress call. So Crusher, Dr. Crusher's organizing things. But I noticed there's wallpaper in whatever hallways they're showing. A lot of staff, a lot of movement. Yeah, it's gray, uh, not horizontal or vertical, the other one, a diagonal, thank you. A gray and white diagonal wallpaper, which, I mean, again, I say, whoa, man, what did I, what happened? Uh, GG wave, what does that mean? GG where? I don't, hair? Golden Gate, where Sigma Six, uh, uh, call, drop off Troy, GG, where, oh G Six uh, shuttle, she took a G Six shuttle. Uh, first shot. What is this? I put wallpaper with gray angled paper. Really, WTF? Double question mark. Mining trouble. Uh, working as a team. They're really working as a team to get down there. With uh, Riker and Data and LaForge saying, okay, let's get out, let's get doing this. And then the Q entity comes and really stirs up trouble. Let's, uh, like, there's all sorts of uh, pomp and circumstance, like a disco ball. 
with moving disc, and this is pre-LED lights, so this is really, uh, really a show Q's putting on. Uh, data says it's a Q entity, sir, because they run into that in force field net. Read solid. Uh, not now, damn it, Q. Uh, Picard says full stop. Uh, then Q's there's an illusion. Shows Tashi. Oh, shows. I don't know what that means. And uh, Tash and Worf it really spring into action, which was awesome. Worf really jumped over a railing. Like, uh, it was awesome. All caps. I spelled awesome wrong, but it still was all caps. Then Worf addresses the Q. Is that what that says? Worf addresses the Q. Let me see. Let me check the uh, thing here, the database. Let's see, reversing power, not now, Q, full stop. Uh, if this is Q, I'm, I'm addressing, we're on a rescue mission. Uh, Q is like, we've been studying you, and we want to help you realize your most po- impossible dream. Picard says, however intriguing that may be, we're on, we, we're, we've got an urgent mission. And Q says, my business takes precedence if my magnificent blinds you. And then Q shows up as a Starfleet Ad- Starfleet Admiral Q at your service. He he, he looks like he did like this gold uh, uh, outline on his own, like at home. Like even for the Q, I don't think he used any of his like uh, cosmic energy. I think he just did it. Like he went to a dance accessory shop and said, "What do you have? Do you have any um, like seconds of stuff you'd put on a, a children's dance costume for a dance recital, because I'd like to put that on my Starfleet Admiral outfit. And then the episode opens. Uh, let's see what's next. Uh, story. Oh, story. They're on their way. I, was try- I didn't do a great job of this again. They're on their way to save the miners, interrupted by Q with a grand offer. Another thing to note in this opening scene as I watch it, Q's hair is a little bit off. I don't know... Uh, just, just something off about it. Uh, let's see what else my notes say. Post open, halted by the immense, immense grid of Q. We have some, uh, dialogue we'll go through. Uh, Q and Picard go back and forth, then Q and Riker, arms crossed, head held high. That's Riker. A lot of that in this episode. Amusing. I might, uh, Q dismisses, uh, Worf, uh, who gets irritated. Picard says, no, Worf. Macro head with a micro brain. He says, and Worf growls. Picard wants to get to his rescue, uh, and gets more and more irritated while Q pesters him. Really, you, I'm looking at Picard's face, he's really not happy. Thank you to current Sir Riker. What do you make of my offer? And Riker says, we don't have any time for games. And then Q gets to say, games? Did someone say time for games? Uh, Pachek, Chikud, interest, and shad. That's what my that's what my handwriting said. Pachaki for interest's sake or something. To the game. Uh, let's see what else. Anything else? Uh, let's see. Q says, uh, oh, hey, the, the redoubtable Commander Riker, which we'll talk about in the, like we talked about in the opening. Uh, he goes, you, Riker, you find this all amusing. Uh, and we said, you know, that's when Riker says, yeah, well, we're on our way on a mission to help people. He goes, oh, you always need help. Uh, then Worf, we have that. 
Picard said, what about this impossible dream being realized? Uh, when the rescue is com- completed, I'll, I'll listen carefully to you, your proposal, and see if it's acceptable. And uh, Q says, oh, do you want your human values on that? Come on, Picard, why do, why do you distrust me so? And he goes, why? All our history together, uh, you're, you know, you're a jerk. And Q goes, really? Take my, because like, he says, you seized our vessel and you interfered and you put us on trial and you did froze people and stuff. Uh, and then Q said, the Q became interested in, your, in you. Does no one understand this good fortune? He goes, quit your close-minded military stuff, Picard. Uh, and he goes, Riker, what do you make of the offer? And that's when Riker says, we don't got time for games. Uh, oh, this is when Q talks like a little Shakespeare. He goes, perchance for interest's sake, a game to the game. Uh, then they're teleported to this rocky planet with a green sky and like two moons. Uh, or planets, uh, but uh, it turns out they're moons. One's bluish and smaller, and one's orange. They're very close to each other in the sky. Uh, Data knows, he says, uh, oh, it's uh, by the way, it's Jordy, Data, Tasha, Riker, and Worf on the planet, I think. And Data says, this is a cl- uh, class uh, M planet, uh, gravity and oxygen within our limits. Uh, Illica uses the Royal R, because I don't think, does Data need uh, oxygen? And then what else? So we could be anywhere if it even exists, Data says. Uh, and then Riker says, well, it won't be boring with this cue. Then Captain Security Engraving. What does that mean? Oh, Picard's on the bridge. He says he, he's by himself and he calls security, calls engineering, turbo lift control. No one answers him. He's by himself. Uh, no one. The doors don't even work. Uh Turbo lift control. Uh, then Tasha, we're back on the planet. Tasha spots a cue. He looks like he's dressed as Napoleon. It ends up he's only Napoleonic. Uh, you know, if you're scoring this at home. Uh, join me, Riker. Uh, games need rules and playing, playing order. Nothing reveals humanity so well as the games it plays. And Q sits down at a tent with blue banners, crosses his legs. He's got really nice boots on, really nice uniform. Uh, he invites uh, Data to, or Riker to sit, and Riker says, Data, what do you think? And Data says, well, he might, be, it might give you some vital info. So Riker reluctantly heads over to Q, and Q raises his glass to him. And he drinks, at first I said, is this a lemonade or a liquefied uh, school kid paste? And he offers Riker to sip in his indeed old-fashioned lemonade. Uh, Riker says, what about my people? And he says, Q says, whatever you like. Uh, games need rules and playing and watching it all unfold. I don't think any more dialogue's important, but uh, it's like a command post or whatever they're sitting at. Riker's very suspicious. I guess rewatching it with mute, uh, just watching um, Riker's facial expressions, he really had to work hard this episode. Indeed, old fashioned lemonade was just what I was thinking about. What about my people? Gets out hot out here. And this is at 9.50, really important. They all, drinks appear in everyone's hands. Uh, 
Like, Data has something green. Jordy takes a sip right away of, like, something light blue. I don't know if Tasha drank. I don't see her drink yet. Uh, but Worf, he, uh, he, like, stares right at uh, Q and pours his drink out. Uh, like, at this hilarious glare. This is at 9.50, if you want to see it. And throws the glass. Uh, and then, you know, Q makes fun of him. Don't don't drink with your enemy. King and Code, no wonder you always lose your battles. And uh, Worf puts his he- he- chin up a little bit more. Tolid hours change. I don't know what that means. T-A-L-D. That's not a word, is it? H-U. Also, Q's wearing a giant ring on his pointer finger. Games need risk. Something to win, something to lose. And then Tasha starts to get irritated, so he gives her a penalty. Tasha's out in a penalty box. And he says, geez, if you don't win the game or anyone else commits a penalty... There's like there's only room for one person in penalty bags, and then there's an ad. Also, so uh, Q's outfit is like full on. He's got like the things I don't know what they're called on the shoulders. Uh, uh, he's got that. He's got like some sort of sheep or something medallion, or I don't know. I don't know a lot about uh, Napoleonic uniforms. Uh, Double breasted. It's got stitching. It's it's got he's got everything. He's got emblems. He's got ensigns. He's got it all. Curtain rods. He's had a few. He's got medals. Yeah, one of the medals on his center of his chest. It looks like a sheep with a crown and some wheat, like wheat, like a crown weighing wheat and a sheep, which maybe makes sense. Like a, the French crown, you know, weighs your weigh in your sheep to tax you or something. Uh, but let's see, you're fasc- this is some of the dialogue that was important. Riker says, oh, you're still fascinated with the human past? Uh, maybe you're not that original. And Q says, au contraire, uh, it's the human future that intrigues us and should concern you most. You of all species cannot abide stagnation. It changes at your heart, uh, and what are you going to change into? And Data says, that is what humans call a truism. And Q means not original. And Riker says, well, you're the one that said it. And he goes, this isn't a human, this is a weird planet. This isn't part of human past or future. And Q says, true, I took it out of your captain's mind. It's the, dre- the dressing for the game we're going to play. Now I'll figure out the rules and rewards, familiar setting, that sort of thing. And then Data says, this is a Napoleonic era from Europe, late 18th century, early 19th century. Campaign headquarters, tent, uh, French army marshal. And Riker says, oh, marshal outranks even an admiral. And Q says, of course, dude. And uh, he goes, well, is it weird Napoleonic equipment on an alien planet with twin moons? And Q says, see, I got an imagination, twin moons. Uh, he doesn't actually do any twin mooning, but he goes, the game should reflect that. Maybe a test of strength. Uh, well, he goes, you don't have any strength. A test of intelligence? No. Something to win, something to lose. And Riker says, well, what if we win? And Q says, the greatest future you can imagine, which, of course, uh, means if you lose, it's not going to be great. Uh, and Worf says, if the game is fair, we'll win. And Q says, fairness is a human concept. Think imaginatively. The game shall be, in fact, completely unfair. 
And all Sasha says is you've gone too far, and she gets a penalty for that, which I think is like a pretty uh, uh, strict uh, and unkind. Uh, then there's a commercial. Then uh, Picard's alone on the ship. Uh, crew has to deal with Q, who wants to play a high- Oh, no, this is a story summary. So Picard's alone on the ship. Uh, crew is dealing with Q, who wants to play this high-stakes game. Tosh is at risk, but there's a big reward. And uh, then back at the ship in the net, uh, ding, there was a bell sound at some point. I couldn't figure that out, Uh, or maybe it was my imagination. Picard's on the deck. He's pacing, or he's looking for something. He sits. He says, Captain's log, but the computer's so slow. And Picard says, damn it. Can't even make a freaking, can't even record my thoughts. And then Tasha's behind him. She says, I wish I could help. And Picard's like, what? And he turns around, and we'll get to the dialogue. Very high. Oh, this is a moment when I thought, is, he, is everybody high or what? Because uh, Tasha starts crying from frustration. It just, there was something, I mean, maybe it was just like a way to let us know that this was Q's illusion. But even Tasha seemed to be out of character, crying. Yeah, this was, oh yeah, there's a lot of highness here. Because she's like, it's so frustrating to be controlled like this. Uh, and then she's mad at herself. Uh, no standing order. Oh, no standing order on the bridge. Uh, no, no, something about in a penalty, when in the penalty box, you can cry. And, to, and then she says to him, this was real, like, uh, she goes, if, oh, if you weren't a captain, like in a romantic sense, she says, if you weren't a captain, uh, I put what double question mark? Uh, Q character says that he's a sitting with a cane. A Q something that he's he's sitting with a cane. He's watching. He's criticizing. Polely over Q seems mad or fed up. Uh, I think he's getting mad at Picard's like a genuine helping of Tatasha without any wanting anything anything in return. Uh, Picard pats Tasha gently, then he walks down to the lower bridge, and he's staring at Q. Oh, that was a good moment. Let's see. Uh, but it's just something emotionally off about the scene, and even Tasha's, like, she is very, uh, in touch with her, 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 her being. Uh, but just something off about the scene where he says, uh, because even, uh, Q says, what are you, fraternizing with lower officers, uh? And he goes, oh, then Q turns off the penalty box. But yeah, let's see what time code this is. Captain Picard is like 1450. He stares, really stares hard as he walks down to the lower bridge the whole time. And Q goes, oh, Mr. Marshal of France, Mr. Hotshot. Uh, and then this word, re-clevers, something, we'll see. Uh, takes the job he gets. Q seems to be about to crack up with joy. I'm going to have to look at the dialogue. Starts messing with Picard's stuff. He, he's like sitting in Picard's chair, touching like the captain's log and stuff. Uh, then at 1537, Picard's got this like his ch- hand on his chin, and then he gets really amused. Uh, he goes, oh, you're going to take on Riker this time. Excellent. He's almost laughing. Then they make a bet, uh, like, uh, you know, if, if he wins, he gets to hang with Riker. If he loses, he's got to leave humanity alone forever. 
Again, my handwriting, Q Confid, C-O-N-F-I-D, Confident. I guess I just didn't finish the language. Uh, Picard's kind of chewing on his bottom teeth as, like, Q heads off. Uh, well, then there's an interesting cut. It, it close-ups on Picard, then it just cuts right to a close-up on Geordi, and they pull back. He's got a furrowed bow. Let's see, uh... A Marshal of France, ridiculous, that's what it was. And uh, he says, uh, Q says, I take what jobs I can get. For example, uh, Star, though, then he starts messing. He goes, this is, like, he said, like, Captain's Log, this is Q. He goes, Captain's Log, uh, I'm a butthead. My name's Picard, you know, stuff, stuff like that. And he goes, you're stuck here, Picard, like an insect in amber, while your crew plays out a game to test if your first officer is worthy of the greatest gift that Q can offer. And that's when they make their bets. Uh, then, I mean, actually, this episode now in the recap has got a lot of good moments. I was wrong. Because uh, then we're back, Jordy close up. Jordy's leaning against a rock, and uh, he says, can you see Worf? And Data says, oh, yeah, and the third ridge, moving along. Uh, and then Worf does this action run. Like, he does, like, a fake left and a fake right. He's, like, really cool. I mean, everything Worf does is cool. He's spying on the French soldiers, who are, like, half pet, half soldiers. Uh, strange, very strange, again. Where I'm like, what is happening here? And they have a little encampment with their Napoleonic tents and cannons and stuff. And then we're at Picard's office, and Q, Q's feet are up. Uh, oh, also, oh, no, wait. At the end, Worf runs back. Then Picard goes into his office. Q's got his feet up on his desk, reading his papers. No, he's reading Illustrated Shakespeare, Globe Shakespeare. And Ricard's like, why do you gotta, uh, why can't we just discuss this? Why do you have to, like, play games? And Q goes, uh, the play is the game. I'm surprised you have to even ask as I read Shakespeare, who put it so well. And Ricard says, well, Shakespeare had more than one viewpoint. And he goes, uh, then Q says, all the galaxies a stage. And Picard says, world. And he goes, oh, you know that one. He goes, well, if we were living now, he would have said galaxy. Then uh, he says, uh, life is but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets upon his hour on the stage and then is heard no more. Is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. And Picard's kind of, like, Picard definitely is, like, uh, cues out of his league with Picard. Because uh, Picard says, uh, you know, he just kind of schools Q. Q. But Q's like, I could do some Hamlet. And Picard says, oh, well, how about the irony in Hamlet? I, I, I say with conviction, what a piece of work is human. How noble in reason, how infinite in faculty, in form and moving, how admirable in action, how like an angel, the apprehension, how like a god, or something. And then Q says, oh, you think you're, you think human, this is again like a little human jingoism. Did I put that in the notes? If I did, it like I wouldn't be able to read my own handwriting. Oh yeah, Hamming Hamlet, there's a Q stands, uh, seems nervous, he throws the illustrated globe of Shakespeare at Picard. And then vanishes. 
Yeah, oh, Picard says, oh, like, uh, maybe humans will be like this one day. And Q says, you don't think that's going to happen. And he goes, is that what you're afraid, that we'll ascend to godhood or something? And that's when he takes off. And then we're back on the planet. Jordy, uh, Riker, and Data are getting ready for the soldiers to come. And they're kind of talking about their weapons, their muskets. And Data's like, you know, they're muskets, man. We got nothing to worry about. Uh, Riker tests out his phaser. And he's like, oh, yeah, they, they got no chance against us. And but they say, well, I don't think it does that sound right with Q. Oh, and right after he tests it, Worf runs out of hiding. This is another one. What time is it? Like, uh, it's 1940. He rushes out, uh, like, because he hears the the banging. And, like, uh, he says, drop your weapons. And they say, they say, oh, boy, Worf, you're really on edge. He says, this is a warrior's reaction. And then he kind of reports on what he's seen, you know, that they're in uniform, but they're not human. They're some sort of pets. And they're moving in, and Data said, he, Riker says, Data, if you got a theory of what's going on, and then Q appears, like Data turns, and then Q is dressed as Data, which is totally weird, even for Riker. And Q says, think fast and move fast, Riker. And then he pulls Riker aside, and then Jordy has to deal with the like the, the musket dudes. Riker, Riker takes care of business, and Jordy's hiding out. And then Q says, this is your chance. Uh, may, he goes, transport them back to the ship. And Riker says, really? You let me beam them? He goes, send them the same way I can. I've given you the Q power. Uh, don't you get it? You're, and he shows him how, like, the hand move, where you take your palm facing towards the ground, and then you turn it up facing towards the heavens. That's the power of the cue. Huey Lewis once sang a song about it, I think. Uh, it was around the same time, the 87 or something. And then Q, Riker does it, and it works. He does the power of the cue, and he transports everybody back to the ship, uh, stares at his hand. He says, oh, boy. I thought, you know, with uh, Troy not being here, I was thinking of something else with his hand. Uh, then post-break, Enterprise is facing the net, uh, Q and Nat vanishing bridge. Uh, Tasha's sitting, she's moving her hands, power comes back on. Picard comes out of his office and says, power back on? Say, oh yeah, we're back online. And they call engineering and like, oh no, we, we were never offline. Uh, just a Q-style illusion. It's as though we never stopped. Uh, then the crew comes back, uh. And Picard says, where's Commander Riker? And they say, well, geez, we were under, this was a really, really weird moment, uh, too. Because they say, we're, we're dealing with these animal French soldiers. Uh, and Picard says, Data, what, what do you think? And he goes, you may find it uh, aesthetically unpleasing. I could just file a computer report on that. It's just so weird. Aesthetically displeasing. I could just file a report on that. And they say, geez, what about Riker? He go, they go, oh, I expect he's okay. Q has an interest in him. That's what Picard says. And they say, what interest? He goes, well, I wish I knew exactly. But he goes, we got to proceed with this rescue. 
And then we get a, a pretty deep acting scene. We see footprints in the sand. Then we see Riker. He has a, a very stoned laugh, a hearty stoned laugh. He's sitting on a rock with his back on the rock. And there's like a lot, you notice in Star Trek, there's a lot of standing, like when you're leaning on your knee talking too. Yeah, what is this? He's staring at the heavens, uh, laughing hysterically, 2340. Looks like it looks like he's off his gourd. And then let's see what it says here. Uh, Q's like, what are you laughing about? And he goes, uh, you, you're a joke. He goes, really? I gave you the gift of the cue, and you're laughing at me. You got no gratitude and no appreciation. Saved your friends. He goes, uh, don't you understand? You could go back to the ship or Earth or wherever you want. Uh, and Riker says, what do you need, Q? And I guess this is where I don't want to, like, where a lot of watching this pays off. Because, uh, well, I'll tell you in the, the visual, but right now let's do the dialogue. He goes, you really need, you're in desperate need of something. What is it? Uh, and Q goes, I don't need anything from Earthlings. He goes, you're starting to sound like your captain. And then Riker says, well, that's a compliment, but not an answer. And Q says, I'm giving you a gift. Uh, and Riker says, sure, for out of the goodness of your heart or something else. Uh, and he goes, uh, Q says, well, after Farpoint, I went back to the, where we're from, the Q Continuum. And Riker says, where is that exactly? He goes, oh, limitless dimensions of the galaxy in we, we, which we exist. And Riker says, I'm sorry. He goes, yeah, you don't, you can't understand it. Uh, but you will when you become one of us. Uh, and Riker says, what? Uh, and he goes, Can quit interrupting me, Q says. Uh, how am I, how am I going to teach you about the nature of the universe? Uh, he goes, when we first saw you, we thought you were just, you know, regular mammals. But then we uh, saw you were unusual by your limited ways. Uh, and he goes, at some point, you know, you won't be limited by time and space, maybe. And Riker says, that's right, we're growing. Something compels us to learn, explore. And Q's like, right, the human compulsion. Uh, unfortunately for us, he goes, it's going to get stronger and stronger, eon after eon. Riker says, eons, eh? How far will we advance? And Q says, a future you cannot yet conceive, even beyond us, maybe. So you've got to be prepared for it. That's why we selected you. So you can bring us this human need and hunger so we can understand it. And Riker says, I guess you mean that as a compliment, or maybe it's just my limited mind. Uh, he goes, but I, to be a part of you, I don't even like you. And Q says, you're going to miss me. Yeah, but let's see. Let's do the notes in the run-through visually. You know, there's lots of strategic arm crossing, and Q turns his back, uh, puts his finger up after four, far point. At some point, Riker stands when he says, become a part of you. I don't even like you. You're going to miss me. Like, if you watch this whole scene and you watch Riker's face, at the, some point the, the t you, see, you do see where he gets tempted. Uh, it's very subtle. I don't know the exact moment because it was earlier today I was watching it. Uh, when Riker says, or when Q's kind of talking about the future of humanity, like for a brief second before he rejects Q, he, you could see where he actually does hook Riker. Like right now Riker's looking at him. They both have their hands on their knees in different ways. Q walks away, but then he pauses, walks back, turns around. 
And he tries his different, you know, a little soft sell, I think. And First Riker's smiling. Out of the goodness of your heart, fingers up by Q, sits next to Riker real close. A little bit softer, a little bit gentler, talking about, and, and this gets Riker's attention. What do you mean exactly? And then we get some close-ups. Uh, Riker says, I don't understand. Riker, Riker's eyes are gray. Uh, it was the first time I noticed that. No wonder, blue-gray. No wonder he's got that swagger. So, yeah, some moment in there he hooks uh, Riker. Uh, then Picard, Wes, and the crew show up unarmed on the planet. Uh, French, you know, French animal soldiers are coming. They, they do a bugle fanfare. Picard's yelling. I couldn't tell if he was yelling at Riker or at uh, the bugler. He said, and then he says, where's Q? He points. And he says, if you have an answer. I couldn't tell if he was pointing at Riker or... Like, this is when this rest of the episode... Picard is really upset with Riker. And it just felt like it was a little bit, it was hard for me to grasp the level. I mean, unless you go into the, look, a thematic thing of a father and a son, and that, the, like, so so there is that thematic thing, but it's just like, uh, up until now, I didn't absorb that uh, the trickster Q or whatever is trying to seduce, you know, Picard's son essentially away from him. Uh, with this temptation of becoming like and a crew member, his essential crew member to becoming a Q member. Say, so what, what, what is that a members only jacket? No, it's a Q member jacket. Uh, it's new, it's from the Q continuum shop. Uh, okay, what do you tell you? So, okay, so anyway, we're back on the planet. Let's see, French, this French soldiers start coming. Worf goes, uh, like totally Worf style, and then he lies down. Uh, then Wes goes to his aid, and Wes, Riker says, no, 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 no. Holy cow, what is this handwriting? To he like a pebby pebbyous team team. With godlike powers, kicks it, daddy, you, you. It's really what the notes say. You know, if you're a $5 patron, you get these notes, uh, Daddy, you, you, D, D, U, U, kid that as Riker drops the Q shield. Okay, net. So, uh, I don't know what Pebius means, though. Pebius team team. Riker says, no, no, damn it, uh, to him. Pebius team team with godlike powers kicks it. Daddy, you, you. Kid that, as, and then he drops the Q shield net. So that's at 28 minutes. Oh, he does this great throw up uh, where he throws his hands in the air. He throws the net up uh, like uh, something out of like a musical, and then he does it again, and everybody. I, I, I thought of like a moment that probably doesn't exist in Tom. I don't know why I thought it was Tommy the musical, but like where you pretend it's like almost like if you had a handful of uh, what's that stuff called the sparkly stuff uh, sprinkles no they're not sprinkles uh, the shimmering glitter and you reach down like you're pulling the glitter out of the earth and then you swept it upwards and outwards throwing it into the air I guess Joe probably used to do that a lot on uh, Arrested Development Riker does it with the Q power 
very Tommy or something. And that's not all. Then he like so he does it once with the net to protect them, then once back to the ship, uh, and then everyone finds themselves on the bridge. But let's run through some uh, if there's any interesting dialogue. Uh, oh, Wes is like Commander Riker. What's happening? I was at school. And then uh, Wesley, no, damn it, damn it to hell. That's what Riker says. Uh, oh, once he puts up the force field, that's when Picard says, Riker, you, you did that. And then Riker says, and that's not all, Dad. I think that's probably what I meant. Daddy, Daddy, you, you. Yeah, like, uh, probably so, because the dynamic was like, uh, Picard is not happy. And Riker's like, I got the Q powers, Dad. Take that. And then this was, again, like this, Riker's standing on the bridge, very straight. His arms are crossed. He's very proud in a negative kind of unhumble way. His chin's up. This is at, uh, what minute are we at here? 28 minutes. Very, uh, and Picard says, those grid the wounds. Only the Q could do that. And uh, Riker's very, he's really, uh, Data's staring at him in shock, uh, Card looks off again, and then an ad break comes. But Picard doesn't like it. Uh, only the Q can do that. Oh, yeah, Picard turns, and then dram- very dramatic music. That was another thing. The music gets better, and, uh, like, this was very uh, early, I mean, like, late 80s, 87 style, some of this, uh, like, uh, melodramatic music, uh, uh, then we got Captain's Log. The Enterprise is heading towards the planet. The planet's looking great. Uh, like, it really stands up to the test of time. The, like, uh, the visual shots. Uh, it's, like, partially in sunlight and partially not. Uh, then we go uh, Captain's Log. Uh, you know, they're headed, they're 12 minutes out from getting dealing with this mining trouble. And uh, they need help. First officer, uh, William T. Riker, needs help just as badly. But this is uh, a subject out of my experience, out of any human's experience. And then they're in uh, Picard's office. Uh, He goes, "Uh, what am I going to tell you? He goes, you know the implications. And Riker goes, "Uh, no one's offered to turn me into a god before. And he goes, I thought you rolled. And they said, no, don't talk about that right now. And he goes, well, what the Q's offered you, he goes, uh, he goes, it's true. I guess it's a limitless power, it seems like. Uh, and Riker goes, yep. Uh, Ricard says, geez, if you're going to refuse, he goes, are you going to keep it or refuse it? Because if you refuse it, you shouldn't use it again. It's too great a temptation for humans right now. Uh, the wisdom of Ricard. And Riker says, are you worried that I won't be able to say no, Papa? And Picard says, are you strong enough to refuse it? And he goes, oh, yeah. And then Picard says, no matter how tempted, maybe it's just they were short on time this episode because uh, there's a lot to do in 15 minutes. He goes, no matter how hard Q makes it, and Riker goes, you got my word. And Picard says, don't disappoint me, son. I mean, more or less. Uh, and then they're ready to beam down. Let's see, Riker in the office. He's standing at Picard's desk, hands clasped, arms on desk, leaned in. Will, how the hell do I advise you? Picard stands, you know as well as I. They talk face to face. Picard's very stern. Riker conducts total eye contact. Uh, 
We see the globe illustrated back in its uh, place by the door and its little glass thing. Then Data says, we're ready to leave bound. They go into the mine. And at first, Riker, there's a door that's stuck. Riker tries to open it, and then he says, Data, you take it. Uh, just a little awkward. They find some huddled people. Uh, Jordy finds some rocks that got to get moved, so Data moves the rocks, the asphalt, and concrete. And they're like, if only we got here sooner, we'd be able to be more useful. And Data says to Riker, if you only had that kind of power. And Dr. Crush is like, what are you guys talking about? And uh, Riker says, I can't change time. I can't break a promise I had to Dad and, you know, sneak the car or whatever. And it was super, super dramatic 80s music. Most dramatic 80s music ever, I put. Then we see the ship in orbit. Then we're on the bridge. And father and son have a showdown now. And again, maybe it's the episode before that this was leading up to this. Or maybe I just, like, I'm tuned out. Uh, but Riker's not happy with Dad. He says, I should have made that deal with you, Dad. I could have saved everything. Picard says, I was right, you know, to, to tell you to keep a promise. Uh, can't get used to this godlike power. And Riker goes, oh, yeah, I can. I can control the power, Dad. I totally can. And Picard goes, you, what if you like it too much? And Riker goes, as soon as it's convenient, Captain, I want a meeting with you and your staff. Uh, and Picard says, once we're done... Uh, with this operation, I'll discuss this with you. But Riker, as he's saying that, White Riker just wa walks right off, like breaking all sorts of rules, I would assume. Uh, let's see what else my notes say. Bad music. Silent face-off with Picard. Again, seems like everybody's stoned in this episode. Exchange with bad music. Riker rebellious, like a rebellious child. Then we're in orbit, and then Riker just rolls right back in. So it was a weird, they may have cut a scene here. Because uh, Riker just strolls back in. There's ominous music, and then there's like an alpha dog off. Like, who's alpha the ship? And it's like, uh, I guess this thematically carrying forward uh, in developing Riker is important. What happens next? Because he gets, uh, it's not his ship. Uh, Jean Luc Picard's uh, glare scowl turn, uh, and then uh, he sits as he coolly pulls his shirt back down. And then Wesley and Dr. Crusher show up for this meeting with Riker. Riker makes this big presentation. Everyone's arms are crossed. And we'll go through the dialogue and stuff. But uh, Picard has to clip Will's, Will's wings. Uh, and the crew helps that. Uh, so what happens is uh, Riker uh, says, Geez, I can make all your dreams come true. Is that Maybe that didn't happen yet. Oh, no, that doesn't happen. Let's see what happens here. Uh, Picard says, geez, like, I, I know you have a tough decision here, so that's why I let you meet with my staff. And he goes, oh, of course, Jean-Luc. Riker says that. And at first, Riker lets it slide. And uh, Riker says, I know I got all these powers and everything, but I'm not, you know, this is just, I'm just mad. I just have godlike powers. I'm same William T. Riker, but everyone's like, Ugh. And Picard goes, everyone knows ultimate power corrupts. Uh, Riker goes, absolutely. Don't you think I've thought of that, Jean-Luc? And Picard says, oh, what, what, since when, other than five seconds ago, are we on a first-name basis? He goes, number one. He goes, something's already going on. 
And Riker said, yeah, I, can, I should have used my power more to help more people. And Picard says, yeah, but this whole situation was by the queue, so you wouldn't have had to use the power if they didn't set a situation where you needed to use the power. And the crew kind of says, you know, oh, geez, you know, we don't need godlike powers. We're humans. And Riker says, no, Tasha says something like that. He says, they love us. The cube loves us. They admire us. And Jordy says, I don't know. Maybe they just don't like us. And Picard says, no, they love us. And you're, you're Jordy, I don't know what you're talking about. Don't you? Doesn't anyone understand this incredible gift? Then there's a commercial on Picard's Galaire. Then, or no, at some point Q shows up. He goes, let us pray for my brother or something. He goes, are these really your friends? And Q's dressed as a monk, uh, like uh, even with like the rope thing and the sandals, rope belt, music, uh, and a cool zoom to his smiling face. Uh, and then it goes to Picard's Galaire. Yeah, then Q says, let's pray for understanding and compassion. And Riker or Picard says, let us do no such damn thing. You and your costume have no integrity or something. Uh, he goes, don't you have any uh, identity of your own? And Q says, I'm searching for the truth. Uh, he goes, and then Picard says, uh, and Q says, you're blasphemous. And Picard says, don't you, this is a cool, great scene. Picard says, don't you see, Riker, he's nothing but a flim-flam man. He's been like that since Farpoint. And then Worf goes, flim-flam. And Q goes, you're just jealous of Riker, man. You're jealous your son's outshining you now. He goes, you just can't comprehend it like Will can. He goes, you're not his friend. Uh, you're trying to keep him from his great adventure, or the greatest adventure for any human. And then Picard sees his opening because he goes, wait a second, like he still has a chance to change his mind? And the Q goes, oh, you're so jealous. He goes, uh, Riker, you love everybody. Show them how much you love them. Uh, give them a gift to prove your affection. And Riker's hooked at this point. Uh, he's, he's had too much sugar almost. And he says, yeah, there'd be no harm if I gave everybody a gift, right? And Q goes, oh, it's so sweet asking your captain, can I give happiness to my friends, sir, please, sir? And Picard already, he, he's like, go for it. Well, he goes, uh. If anybody wants to cooperate with him, go right ahead. But, I mean, I guess, like, because this is written, but it's just like, oh, man, Picard really knows. He can see many steps ahead of most people. And Data goes, are you sure, sir? He goes, oh, I'm sure. Go ahead, Will. Go for it. Don't. And Riker says, don't be frightened, everybody. He's turned into, like, a, a guru, actually. He goes, there's no way I could harm you. Shall I guess your dreams? And Dr. Crusher is like, Wesley, we're leaving. And then Riker says, Wesley, you're the best. We've talked. We're friends. And Dr. Crusher's like, no, no, no. Leave Wesley out of it. He goes, have your favorite wish, my young friend. Which I don't think was his deepest wish, to be honest. He turns Wesley into like a like a hunk, I guess. Like uh, He's got like giant hands. And he looks a bit like a Ken doll or something. Oh, I put a himbo with giant hands. And then, this was weird, Jordy, like, uh, I guess this one where, and I see people's comment about Jordy, Jordy, like, hits on Wesley or just makes this salacious comment. Goes, whoa, whoa, Wes, uh, check it out, or something like a va-va-voom, or something bizarre. And uh, Data, then Data's, uh, Data's eyes are extra green because then he says, Data, you want to be a human? And uh, Data says, not this way. 
He goes, I don't want to compound one illusion with another. It might be real to Q or even to you, but it won't be to me. He goes, isn't one of Catherine, Captain's favorite authors say, this above all to thy own self be true? Sorry, Commander, I decline. And then he goes over to Jordy. He goes, I know what you want, Jordy. And he waves his hand over Jordy's eye and takes off his visor. And I didn't know if he removed, he gave Jordy the power of sight, but also, like, the, the most interesting thing to me from the pilot is that for Jordy to see what the visor causes him pain, you know. And maybe that's why I try to give Jordy so many breaks, but then he really throws away my break right away because he, again, acts like kind of like a, he, like, immediately looks, he looks at a planet, then he looks at Tasha. And it's just inappropriate. And I mean, period. He goes, you're as beautiful as I imagined and more. And then Riker says, okay, let's throw this visor out. And then Jordy says, no, the price is too high. And I don't want to thank Q. Make me back. Then Riker tries to seduce. Uh, then, uh, yeah, Riker tries to seduce Worf with a. What is he, a Vulcan? No, is, is that what he is? I can't. Why do, like, uh. Like with a, a female mate, and uh, he guessed it. Yeah, Dave, Jordy really. This episode was not Jordy's high moment because uh, uh, we see like Worf interact, and and then he says, "No, no, no, she's from a world now alien to me." And then Jordy says, "Worf, is this your idea of sex?" And Worf actually says, "Yeah, but uh, it's I have no place for it in my life now." And then Q shames him. He says, oh, no place for sex, microbrain. And then Wesley says, you know what, Riker, make me back to a kid. I'd rather get there on my own. And then Q tries to say, no, 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 Wes, stick with us. And then the illusion is broken. Riker goes, geez, how did you know? He says this to Ricard, I feel like such a fool. And then Ricard's still clipping his wings. He says, that's right, you should. And he goes, by the way, Q, it's all over. You have no further business here. And Q tries to stand up, and he says, no, no, no. You, Picard says, you, you made a bet. Uh, and Q, this is, he, he says, I don't remember making a bet. And then Picard just yells to the universe. He goes, I'm sure all the other Qs can hear you, and that you agreed never to trouble the humans again. And he goes, I'm sure they're aware of how you messed with us at Farpoint and tempted Riker, too. And then Q starts to hear the call of the other Qs. He goes, no, 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 just one more thing. And Picard says, I think you got some explaining to do. And then uh, Q disappears. Wesley turns back. Uh, the Klingon woman vanishes. And uh, everyone's at their regular workstation, I think. And Picard says, extraordinary. Let me see what else. Worf's jaw moves a lot at the Klingon. And then he says, no, she's from World of the Aliens. You may have liked that. Uh, How'd you know, sir? I feel like an idiot, as you should. Uh, Picard tells on Q, who won't repay his bet. Uh, all's returned to normal. Extraordinary. And then uh, Jordy says, geez, we're back uh, where we were. And then uh, Data kind of gives us the, the whatever epilogue or the theme. He says, sir, how is it that the Q can handle time and space so well, but us so badly? Again, I really enjoy that Data's using the us as a part of the Data considers himself part of humanity. I, I don't know. I find Data endearing. So 
And then Picard says, perhaps one day we'll discover that time and space are simpler than the human equation. New coordinates laid in, number one. Like, and he goes, you get that? He goes, son, you're, uh, he goes, you're still living under my roof. Get, get it? Get it good. And Riker says, I, sir. But Riker says it in a way of, like, understanding that this is my mentor, not my father. Like, I think it is, like, this readjusting of the relationship like, I guess in some way, Picard's clipping his wings within this context and kind of like saving Will from like, like a whatever Aladdin genie situation. He's saying, Will, just so you know, I, I, I thought it was, you know, your relationship with the counselor, but I'm not your father. And this isn't our family, you know, this isn't our living room. This is a professional situation. And as a matter of fact, I have great affinity for you as your friend and mentor, but not as your father. And so I need you to trust me. I mean, that was kind of the theme of this episode. I need you to trust me that I'm in command of the ship and I'm mentoring you to one day do the same thing. And you'll have to trust this process uh, that instead of just jumping to the result, you know, be more process-based. I mean, I think that's, to me, that's what that last line is that you got got the coordinates laid in, Riker. You know, you're, you know, do you understand our relationship a little bit better now? In some sense, I mean, if we're to read into this, Riker does, because then he, like, this is the next stage in his development. And then uh, they say, Riker says, yep, I sent him to Jordy. And then Jordy says, I got him. And Picard says, engage, and there's this zoom. He's kicked back in his seat with a grin on his face, and the episode ends.